0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at StoneOakBible.com. Thank you for singing with us. If you have your Bibles, I, I do want to invite you to open with me to the book of Genesis. We have... A lot of ground to cover today, Um, but this is such an important text. Uh, As we're getting there, have any of you ever heard of the idea or term chronological snobbery? It's a fun one, isn't it? Chronological snobbery. It's a term that was coined by C.S. Lewis in the 1950s, but it's this belief, this idea, that the ways of thinking, that the art, that the science of any other earlier time period is inherently inferior to the present. Now take that in. Why is that? Well, because, because we there's this belief that since we have developed in some areas that that the People of the past, the things of the past were less developed than we are, we're not as progressed as we are, and there is this tendency to look back at them and think that, well, we have developed beyond them. Follow me? That is called or what has been called chronological snobbery. It's the belief that we have developed, they were primitive. We, we are developed. We are being refined. That, that's chronological snobbery. Now, Scripture does a fantastic job of showing us that there is nothing new under the sun. Scripture does an incredible job that, to show us that for all of our developments, for all of our advancements, we are humans we are, with all that it means to be human, with our struggles, with our joys, with our, uh, our human nature, that does not change. That does not change. And spiritually, or scripturally, scripture continually cares da- tears down our tendency to think that we are better than them. Continues, continually just tears down this notion of chronological snobbery and replaces it with humility. That we continually see our need for grace as we read Scripture. That we continually see ourselves in the failings of others. In other words, the warnings of Scripture is not, we don't read this and say, well, that was good that they heard that. We read this and we see ourselves, and we see the need for us to be stopped in our tracks to recognize our sins. We realize the propensity we have to follow right in those footsteps. This morning is a cautionary tale. This morning is a cautionary tale that is going to hit very, very close to home. In fact, this morning, our text this morning, is one of the most powerful warnings that you're ever going to hear about sin and temptation. This text is huge, and I want to challenge you. Don't you dare be a chronological snob as we read this text. Let us all come to this text and, and, and see that this is directly for you and I this morning. And I want to give away everything up front this morning. Here's where we're headed. Um, the warning, the great warning of this text that we are going to unpack together. Do not linger. Do not linger. Now, if you were here last week, or if you were to just look back on chapter 18, you're going to see that Abraham had just been visited by the Lord and two, and two angels. And as they were leaving Abraham, they, they told Abraham what they were about to do. The Lord revealed to Abraham that he was going to, that he knew, that he saw the sin of Sodom. And that he was going to go and bring his righteous judgment on it. He was going to destroy it. And this is when Abraham, hearing this, says, Lord, 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 far be it for you to do this. And, and he pleads with the, with the Lord on behalf of this city. He says, if there, if there is 50, would you not, 45, 30, 20, 10, would you not do what you are about to do? And the Lord says, On behalf of the few righteous in Sodom, I will spare the entire city. And then they leave. Then they go, and that's where we pick up. They leave Abraham, they go to Sodom. And we look at our text here in verse 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate. If you remember, Lot was Abraham's nephew and Lot here, sitting at the gate. And I want to pause here and draw something out that might not be overly obvious. Um, and some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, we have a really long way to go, and you're stopping us midway through the first verse. I get that, but this is important. Follow with me here. How many, how many know that sin is a bit of a, a slow burn? Sin will slowly pull pull and pull and pull until small actions grow into big ones and until all of a sudden you open your eyes and you say where am i that's that's how sin that's how sin works we drift we drift slowly surely until we stop and say where on earth am i now with that in mind i want to give us some context of this 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 text and to do that, um, you don't have to turn with me here unless you want to. Just a few pages earlier, let's see what our man Lot is doing. In uh, Genesis 13, for example, Lot and Abraham have to separate. Not because they, of anything, except they were extremely wealthy. In the land, the people, couldn't sustain them. So they had to separate. And we read that Abraham says, you know what, Lot, you choose. Whichever way you choose, I will go the other way. I'm going to give you the choice. And so we read that Lot looked up, saw that the, the Jordan Valley was lush, beautiful. I'll take that one. And so Abraham honored what he said and said, okay, you go that way. And Abraham went the other way. If you look at verse 11 of chapter 13. So Lot chose for himself the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and I want you to listen to this, and moved his tent tent as far as Sodom. Moved his tent as far as Sodom. You're like, I I can read. Follow with me. So they split. Lot moves his tent as far as Sodom. Fast forward. One chapter, Genesis 14. Cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are going through a battle. The city was attacked, overrun. Abraham comes to Lot's aid, rescues him. We read in this in verse 12. This, it says they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, I want you to look, listen, listen to this, who was dwelling in Sodom. Something happened. It was subtle. Did you hear it? Did you catch it? Lot now is dwelling in Sodom. No longer in his tent, but in the city. Not a tent dweller, a city dweller. There has been a movement. Subtle. Just a movement. Now, fast forward one more time to our text in chapter 19, verse 1. Now Lot is sitting at the gates of this city. Now we hear this and it doesn't make sense to us. We think of a homeless person. That is not what it meant to be sitting at the gates of an ancient city in this culture. Uh, to sit at the gates meant that Lot had become a prominent man in this city. The gates of the city were the traditional location for civil discussions. Decisions that were made in that city were made right there at the gates. And the men, the elders of the city, were to sit at the gate. He was a prominent, well-known established, influential person in the city, sitting at the gates? Do you see the transition? Do you see the progress? Slow progress here. There's this old example. It's super morbid, but I'm going to use it. How do you boil a frog? You've heard this example. Um, you don't just take the frog and drop it into boiling water. That frog's going to nope and jump out, right? That's not how you do it. What you do is you take the frog, you place the frog in the water, and you slowly turn up the heat. Slowly turn up the heat. Again, it's a rather morbid example, boiling, boiling a living creature. But what we see here, the point here is clear slow change, can slowly progress into big change and go unnoticed. Completely and totally under the radar, unnoticed. Slow progression. Here, Lot has his tent as far as Sodom. One chapter, he trades that tent in for a house in Sodom. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to take leadership of Sodom. This was a, what, just a few chapters, and we see this incredible transition, this slow burn, this slow pull, like a frog with slow change, lot is now immersed in this city. It reminds me of Romans 12: "Do not be conformed to this world, world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It reminds me of Jesus' high priestly prayer. It says, be in the world, but not of the world. Well, church, we see this slow progression in Lot as the world around him begins to infiltrate him, and it was slow. He's no longer a tent dweller outside of Sodom. He is a Sodomite. Isn't this the way that sin often attacks our lives? It is the slow, little by little by little By little, until finally we open our eyes by God's grace and realize where where am I? How did I get here? This is Lot, and so we see back in our text. I promise to go through these verses a little quicker than this. We see our text. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, bowed himself with his face to the earth, and said, "My lords, please turn aside to your servants' house. Come to my house." And spend the night, wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. Lot is showing here, by the way, just hospitality. He's inviting them in, opening his home, right? And they say, no, no, we're going to spend the night in the town square. As soon as he said that, ding, 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 radar, or alarms going off for Lot. Lot slams on the brakes. That's not a good idea. Why? Because Lot knows exactly what happens when the sun goes down. In this city, Lot knows exactly what is going to happen if these men just grab a park bench. He knows what's going to happen. And he says, No, 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 no. And he pleads with them, No, no, please come off the street. Come into my house. Verse 3 he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast, baked unleavened bread and they ate. So here again, Lot is incredibly hospitable. This, however, is where our story takes a very dark turn. What you you and I are about to witness here in our text is outright stunning evil. We are going to feel, as we read this text, by the way, like the frog who was just dropped in boiling water as we read this this is going to should sit with us very bleh. i don't have a word for that other than that <laughs> this evil is disgusting verse 4 before they lay down the men of the city the men of Sodom both young and old all the people to the last man surrounded the house we'll come back to this but the extent of this sin is just mind blowing Verse 5, they called to Lot. Where are the, man, the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. Know here is the Hebrew word yada. Yada is the same word in Genesis 4.1 where it says that, that uh, Eve knew, or uh, Adam knew his wife and they conceived. This knowing is, is knowing them sexually. There is no getting around that. They're not just looking to befriend these men. So Lot's seeking to protect these men from what he knows they are requesting. Again, the extent of this is just insane. This is young and old, all people, right? This is the men of Sodom. This was accepted, common practice. What are we doing tonight? Come together. This was that happening in this city. So rampant. Now, sexual sin was common in many, many cultures. Many cultures of this time, just as it is today. In this way, Sodom was similar to the neighboring communities around it. Sexual sin is not new. For example, um, sexual immorality was, was, was rampant among the Canaanites, just next door, right? So that was not new, Except it was. In that Sodom was, the wickedness that's on display here is extraordinary wickedness. I mean, a commentator says it well. He says, sexual orientation aside, such sexual violence was an anathema to all Oriental culture and every culture since. And I think that's fair. Do you see what's on display here? The rampant... Sexual violence would have been abhorrent to not only the people of God, but the neighboring cities around this city would have looked and said, what on earth has been normalized in this city? We're talking here about attempted rape that is openly accepted. This is a perversion on a huge level. It's like a frog boiling. This was the city, and verse 6 says, Lot, went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, not to act so wickedly. Don't do this. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please, but only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, this is abhorrent. This is, Gross! This is disgusting, and it shows just how much and how far the sin had clouded this man's eyes. Whatever his strategy was for this moment, Lot chooses his role of hospitality over his role as a father. There's just no justification. This is just disgusting. And fortunately, the angry mob outside did not accept Lot's offer instead verse 9 but they said stand back and they said this fellow came to sojourn and he's become the judge come back to that one now we will deal worse with you than with them so here we see exactly what our temptation can sometimes lead us to do when we're called out for our sin we see this gut response that they have here of who made you judge <laughs> Who gives you the right to come in here and tell me that I'm a frog boiling? Who gives you that right? Who gives you the right to tell me what is right and what is wrong? Who made you judge over me? See, no one is our judge. No one can tell us what we can and cannot do. And then they push the threat further to Lot himself. And they, it says that they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But these men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. It's a desperate scene, verse 11. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of this house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out, groping at the door. Just to point out, this blindness was an act of God's great mercy. Stopping these men from Further sin. This blindness was an act of God's grace, stopping these men from hurting anyone else. Verse 12, then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, daughters, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become so great before the Lord. The Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Again, like a frog who thinks everything's fine, everything is normal, I'm not boiling, thinking it is a joke. But now listen to this, verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Now we get to the, I think, the most heartbreaking text in this whole thing, the most crucial verse in this text. But he lingered. He knew the wickedness but he lingered he knew the judgment that was coming but he lingered he knew what god was going to do he knew it yet he lingered how could he linger knowing all that he knew seeing all that he had seen how could he linger church it is the same reason the same way that we can linger the same way that we can know the destruction of our sin, we can know the consequences of our sin, we can know the bondage, we can know the judgment of our sin, we can know all of that, yet so often we can linger and say, you know what, it's, it's, it's okay. I'll run from that tomorrow. I, I'll stop this tomorrow. I know, I know that it's toxic, but it's okay, it's just a, it's a small thing. It's just, we linger. Lot lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. Another act of the mercy of God. And they brought him out and set him outside of the city. God delivered them by grabbing his hand. Getting them out. Verse 17, as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Do you know what the opposite of linger is? Escape. Escape means to leave a place of danger and to move to a place of safety. Escape. Run, flee, don't hesitate, don't linger, don't stay. Go and go now. For all who are battling and, and lingering in a sin right now, escape, run, flee. We're reminded of, of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Nothing new under the sun." amen? says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape, so that you may be able to endure it. Escape for Lot was being taken by the hand and pulled out of this city. For all who are lingering this morning, for all who are lingering in sin, escape, run, run. God has promised to provide you a way of escape. Run. Like a frog, you are boiling. Jump. Get out. Escape. So Lot says in in 18, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my lives. my life. Yes, they have. But I can't escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Notice all his personal pronouns here. Uh, Behold, this city is near enough to me, or to flee to, and and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a, a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant to you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Listen, even as the sun was rising and destruction was coming, Lot here pleads selfishly. Again, I mean, there's just no other way to look at this. But God, here's the incredible thing, is he condescends and he, and he, and he grants his request. Again, incredible grace and mercy. I mean, I read this, and I, I want to smack Lot. <laughs> I do. Just get out. Go. Stop. Now is not the negotiating time. Go. But the Lord is gracious, and he gives him what he asks. And if you, if you think about it, God even spares the small, the small city of Zoar because of Lot. I mean, that's—what grace— Now, let's look at the story as it comes to a close. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. This was widespread judgment. In verse 25, it says, And he overthrew those cities and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. This was extensive. It was like Noah in the flood. It was the righteous judgment of God on the wickedness of this city for its sin. The tragedy, though, of this story continues. Because once it was just a little lingering, once what was just a little buddy lingered, now turns to fatal lingering. Verse 26. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back. She became a pillar of salt. Lingering turned into looking back. How on earth could this be? I mean, how could she do this? How could she have done this? I mean, it just blows my mind. For a moment, would you turn with me to Luke 17? Uh, Luke chapter 17 sheds some light on this. So here Jesus is teaching about the end and about the kingdom of God. He compares it first to Noah in verse 27. They were eating and drinking, verse 27 says, marrying, being given in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Then he compares it to Lot and to our text this morning. Jesus was using what we just read to teach about what is happening. And he says this, verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out of Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. This is the day of the Lord that we have been talking about as we walked through Joel. This is it. We've talked about that a lot lately. This is the day of the Lord. Verse 31, on that day, I want you to listen to this, with Lot's wife in your mind, listen to this, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Then Jesus says very simply, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Church, Lot's wife loses her life because she refused to let it go. Because she looks back. She refused to let go of her house, her stuff, her life, the life she knew, the possessions she looked Back, Jesus says she was unwilling to let go of the stuff of life, and it took her life. She lingered. She looked back. And the Lord said through these angels, Go, escape, flee, run, don't linger, don't hesitate, don't look back, run. But she turns back. And so Jesus says, Remember Lot's wife. We can often think that lingering isn't going to hurt. That lingering just a little bit longer isn't going to hurt anyone. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Lingering can be fatal. What are we unwilling to let go of? What are we unwilling to let go of to follow Jesus? To not look back, to not linger. I think of 1 Peter 5:8. It says, Be sober-minded and and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I sometimes get the the feeling that we think that we're going to be able to spend enough time with a lion that we can tame it, that we can pet it. I sometimes think that we believe that that we're going to be the ones. To tame this thing so it doesn't wreak destruction, we're going to be the one to tame the lion. We're going to snuggle up. We're going to pet its mane. We're going to tame it. Sometimes I think that we forget that that lion is an apex predator, looking for someone to devour, as scripture says. And because of that, because we, we think we can tame that beast. Because of that, we, we, I believe, are shocked sometimes when that lion takes a bite. We're just shocked when destruction is caused by the thing that we're snuggling with. We're shocked when, when that thing that we thought we tamed and had under control, we're shocked when it does what lions do. Lions bite. Lions devour. You are not going to tame this lion. And to play with it is foolish. It is fatal. Do not linger. Do not look back. Like Lot, to get closer. Closer. And closer. Like Lot's wife, to look back. To not let go. Lingering and looking back will destroy us. This morning, hear me. Do not linger. Escape. The lion will devour you. Resist, flee, run, do not linger. Do not turn back. This text this morning is an all out wake up call, an all out attack on sin. Remember. Lot's wife, do not linger, do not look back, because the Lord has promised you that he will provide for you a way of escape. It is for freedom that you have been set free and you are no longer bound. Escape, run. Our scene this morning ends on a somber note, but yet a hopeful note. Verse 27 And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And can you imagine his heart break in this moment? He had just pleaded with God, if there were ten, if there were ten, I mean, that smoke rising was an indication there was not ten What an incredible, an incredible tragedy. The smoke rising was this resounding sign of the tragedy of sin. Verse 29, so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Even in this tragedy, church, we see God's grace shown. Abraham pleaded, interceded for Lot, and God spared him. What grace and undeserved, unmerited favor. I want to end with this, because this is us. We are Lot. I want you to think about this, church, because just as Abraham interceded for Lot, just as he... The scripture tells us that he was pleading with the Lord for Lot. Scripture also tells us that Christ intercedes for us. And we we read in Romans 8:34, it says, Who is to condemn? Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who what indeed is interceding for us. This is the gospel. We are Lot. And we have been shown grace upon grace, not because of our own merit, but because of Jesus Christ dying on our behalf, interceding on our behalf. This is the gospel. Don't linger. Don't turn back. Run to Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we are reminded so clearly this morning of how often it is that we are tempted, that we are pulled away from from who you created us to be. We confess, as we have this morning, that we are broken. And Lord, like Lot, we stop and we, we recognize the fact that Lord, you Jesus is interceding for us, pleading for us, that like like Lot, the the righteousness of someone else was applied to our account, and we have been spared, we have been saved. So Lord, in this moment, I just, um, we are humbled, and we thank you. It is not because of how good we are. It is because of how good you are. It is not because how lovable we are. It is because you are love. The gospel reminds us that it is by grace and grace alone. And because of that grace, because you are saving us, Lord, help us not to linger. Lord, help us not to linger in the things that are killing us, the things that we should flee from. Help us not to look back on them, but to run, to flee, to not stop for a moment. Lord, I pray that right now you would give us the courage to go to war against the sin in our life. Whether we feel like we have been fighting a losing battle for years, Lord, your word says that we will not be tempted beyond our ability. And that in each temptation, you will provide a way of escape. So, Lord, we plead for you to show us, to provide us a way of escape, even if that means grabbing us by our hands and removing us. Lord, we know that you do that. We know that that is your grace. And so right now, we plead for your help. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for your grace and your faithfulness, your love, your goodness that we know is new each and every morning. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name.